This summer we've been talking about hope for fruitful service. The first part of our series, we focused on applying the applying diligently the characteristics or the qualities needed for fruitful service. So we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, if you will, the things that ought to be evident within us because we are believers and because of our relationship with Christ. These are the things that we ought to see. Then we turned our focus to the spiritual gifts that have been provided for us to be able to do that fruitful service. So spiritual gifts that have been granted to those within the church to be able to carry out for others to ultimately see the glory of God. And today we're wrapping up our summer series on those spiritual gifts. We've seen this so far, that every believer in Jesus Christ has at least one spiritual given, gift given to them by the Holy Spirit. Peter said this in 1 Peter 4.10, As each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so we've discussed so far this summer, what is a spiritual gift? Who gets spiritual gifts? What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? And then we've looked at gifts such as teaching, serving, giving, and leadership. Well, this morning we're going to focus on finding hope in showing mercy. And as we come to know God and we learn about God, we begin to see things that we call the attributes of a holy God. For instance, He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He's unchanging. He's loving. He's patient. He's gracious. So we're going to have a little theology lesson here for you this morning. When we talk about the attributes of God, there are certain attributes that set Him apart from all of His creation. For instance, His eternal nature, or His immutability, or His omnipresence. We call these incommunicable attributes. In other words, as much as we might try or as much as we might want to, we cannot do this because we are not God. Okay, These are things that set Him apart from us. They're God's perfections that make Him unique. They're attributes that we cannot reflect as His creation. But there are attributes of God that we can reflect because we're created in His image in similar but not identical ways. We call these communicable attributes of God. In other words, God is love. We are commanded to love others. God is righteous. We are commanded to be righteous. Well, what about mercy? Mercy is one of these communicable attributes of God. Mercy describes God's kindness and compassion on others in distress. You might want to write that down somewhere. Mercy describes God's kindness and compassion on others in distress. Mercy is one of the beautiful attributes of God that He uses even to describe Himself. I want to remind you of a couple of different instances where we see God refer to Himself as being merciful. In Exodus chapter 34, the Lord meets with Moses on Mount Sinai. You guys remember that story? God is coming to announce His presence to Moses. Moses asked if he could look upon the glory of God. Now, I want you to imagine the terror of the whole moment. We're told that Moses had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock. In other words, he can't look directly on to God. He's only allowed to see the back of the Lord as he passes by. 
like an incredible moment of displaying the power of God. The introduction very easily could have been something along the lines of, I am all powerful, I am all just, I am all knowing, and I can do what I wish. That's what God could have said. But instead, what did he say as he described himself in verse 6? I am the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. When God revealed himself to Moses, the thing he wanted Moses to know was this. He is a God of mercy. And aren't you thankful for that fact? Similarly, the Apostle Paul, when he explained the beauty of salvation and being restored to a right relationship with God to those who have faith in Christ, he reminds us that it's not based on what we do. I want you to think about that for a second. Remember the Apostle Paul? His name was Saul before this, but he was busy actively destroying the church, right? The description in the Bible was he was ravaging the church like a wild beast taking apart its prey. That's what he was doing. And he was traveling to go do this. You remember that? God calls from him from the heavens as he travels to persecute the church. Remember, God knocks him down onto the ground by his power. Remember, a bright light shines upon him. Paul loses his vision temporarily as God calls out to him. And how does Paul describe God after that experience? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. God describes himself as a God who is rich in mercy. Praise the Lord that in his richness, this is a gift he has chosen to share We can rejoice in the fact that God is merciful and he's described as being rich in mercy. And without that mercy would be a totally different experience for us. If God didn't demonstrate mercy towards us, can you imagine how life would be? Mercy describes God's kindness and compassion on others in distress with a serious need. And certainly, God's mercy is seen in our ultimate need of a Savior to restore our relationship with God. But there's another part of God's mercy that's important to remember, too. God's mercy is seen in the struggles of our life. When you struggle with illness, God's mercy sustains you. When you go through pain, God's mercy is close to you. When you have difficulties within your relationship, when you have a loss of a loved one, when you go through financial stresses or when you have work issues, God's mercy is there to sustain us. In my reading as I was preparing for this, I came across an incredible quote with incredible imagery of what the Lord's mercy is like. It's from a Puritan preacher. His name's Jeremiah Burroughs from the early 1600s. Here's what he said. He said this, It is a saying of Luther, the sea of God's mercy should swallow up all our particular afflictions. Name any affliction that is upon you. There's a sea of mercy to swallow it up. If you pour a pail full of water onto the floor of your house, it makes a great show. But if you throw it into the sea, there is no sign of it. So afflictions considered themselves, we think are very great, but let them be considered with the sea of God's mercies we enjoy. And then they are not so much. They are nothing in comparison. I want you to think about that for a second. When life hits you with distresses, it seems to overwhelm us, right? But when you compare it to the vastness of God's mercy, it doesn't overwhelm him. Let me illustrate it. How many of you understand the concept of water displacement theory? 
Have you ever heard of water displacement theory? Okay, you might have heard of it. Those of you that really understand it, you will know it's known as Archimedes' principle. Let me kind of just state it for you. Here it is. A body at rest in fluid is acted upon by a force pushing upward called the buoyant force, which is equal to the weight of the fluid that the body displaces. If the body is completely submerged, the volume of fluid displaced is equal to the volume of the body. Please, if I got that wrong, don't come at me. I got it off of Google, okay? Like, but that's it, all right? So, so here's the deal, all right? Like, I, I'm sure at some point in time, I learned this very thing. I, I'm looking around trying to see people who would know this to make sure I'm saying it right. But here it is. I, I'm sure I learned it at some point. But unless it happened at lunch or gym class or a sporting event, I'm confident I did not understand that principle, all right? Like, I, I'm sure I wrote it down somewhere. I'm just not sure I ever learned it. Until I was 27 years old. Let me explain. I was pastoring a small church in Wisconsin, and I was asked by one of the deacons in our church to house sit for him as his family went on vacation. It was a pretty nice house. It was actually a gorgeous house. It was, I mean, amazing. And it had the most amazing, incredible master suite on the second story of the house. And as the deacon was preparing to leave, he led me to the master bathroom where he showed me the most incredible whirlpool bathtub I have ever seen in my entire life. Don't laugh yet. We're not there. <laughs> he said these words to me, Pastor, make sure you take some time to relax while you're staying here. Please use this tub. I could hardly wait for them to leave so I could try out this new luxury. As soon as I could, I raced to the master suite. I filled that tub up with water. I checked the temperature. It was perfect. And then I climbed in. Enter Archimedes' principle. If the body is completely submerged, the volume of fluid displaced is equal to the volume of the body. And it Archimedes principled all over the floor. I mean into the carpet in the master bedroom, into the ceiling of the kitchen down below. What happened? Well, the situation of the mass of the body entering that little pool made the walls of the tub too small to handle the reaction. Okay, get that principle? Everybody can imagine that when you think of being overwhelmed in life. I hope you'll always remember that. Now, I have swam, or I should say I've entered a state of buoyancy in the ocean before. And I am pretty sure no one has had to evacuate their house as a result of it. Right? Why? Because there's more there to absorb what is there. Let me remind you of this as you think of God's mercy. As you go through life and our afflictions drop down into our life, they quickly overwhelm our boundaries. But when the afflictions of our life hit the oceans of the mercy of God, they are quickly absorbed by the enormity of His mercy. Mercy describes God's kindness and compassion on others in distress with a serious need. We understand well that God is a God of mercy, and we praise Him for this, and we constantly look to see it applied. So we certainly can begin to understand the attribute of God's mercy, but now we have to take our thoughts from that, and we have to think about how it plays out in the gift of mercy that God has given to us within the church so that we can use it to broadcast in living pictures the greatness of our God. Remember what Paul said in Romans twelve six through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy... 
according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You see, all who have believed in Christ have received at least one spiritual gift. We're told that there are gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and each of us is to exercise those gifts accordingly. They're the things we carry around in our spiritual toolbox, if you will, so that we can use them to show the glory of God to those around us. Tim Keller in his commentary on Romans illustrates the gift of mercy this way. Mercy, this is a gift of people specifically moved to work with the poor, the sick, the weak, the prisoner, the addicted, the elderly, and so on. This is not an exhaustive list, right? But it is absolutely examples of possible needs or distresses that we can show mercy in. You, You might look at that definition. Look at the definition. You might look at it and you might say, you know what? That one is not for me. I'm not gifted like that. I don't have the patience to do this. I can't possibly do this. Well, when it comes to mercy, the Scripture emphasizes different apportioning of it, but it also reminds us of this. No one can say, I can't show mercy to others because if you are a Christian, guess what? You first have been shown mercy, and as a result of that, guess what? You must show mercy to others. The New Testament writers in the letters to the churches seem to assume that the believers know what mercy is because it's usually just listed without much explanation. And so we're going to take some time this morning to go to the Gospel of Luke. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to see this illustrated for us here. If you need the Bible of the chair uh, of, under the chair in front of you, you can turn to page 55 of the back section there. And you will find our passage there. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you, whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Let's talk this morning about three aspects demonstrated when we use the gift of mercy. The first aspect we have to think about when it comes to this parable is that this is a gift to be shared with 
every neighbor. Look at verse 30. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. More specifically, Jesus begins by saying a certain man. This, this is a way to begin a sentence by simply saying this. The certain man is the victim of robbers. It's an everyday reality of the brutality on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. In other words, there's nothing special about this guy. He, he's just a man who's going on a trip and happens to come upon some robbers who want what he has, and so they take what he has. He's an example of every single neighbor. Anyone could be put into the role of this traveler. This also helps our understanding into why the third man on the road is described as a Samaritan. The first two men are, pre, are a priest and a Levite. Again, we, we don't know their reason for passing by or the reason why they didn't stop to talk to them, but I'm guessing they were probably rushing off to a meeting somewhere or something that to them was more important than it would have been to stop and take care of him. But they're simply a priest and a Levite. The original hearers, the, the lawyer, would have heard Jesus say this and they would have considered these to be the men of good moral value who should have stopped and should have cared for this man. Yet the idea is that the Samaritan responds and cares for this man. That thought would have been scandalous, if not offensive to some. Why? Why would Jesus choose to use a Samaritan and not a Jew. Well, we can understand culturally this. The Samaritans as a people group were looked down on by the Jews of that day. Why? Because they saw themselves as the true descendants of Israel. They saw themselves as the preservers of the true religion. They were a people that were generally avoided. In other words, you saw a Samaritan, you went the opposite direction. That's part of what's amazing about Jesus with the woman at the well. Normally, they wouldn't have even traveled that path because they would have avoided being there. So why did Jesus choose a Samaritan instead of a Jew? Because he wants us to see what characterizes a true neighbor as one who shows mercy, not one who should be the closest. The gift of mercy is tied directly to the greatest commandment, to love God and our neighbor, because an act of mercy is ultimately an act of love. When the lawyer tried to test Jesus, he replied by pointing the lawyer back to the Mosaic law. Verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And what was the reply of the lawyer? Well, who is my neighbor? I want you to notice this. Jesus takes the question of who is my neighbor and turns it into who was the neighbor, right? That's an important concept for us to think about as we go through this. Mercy and love characterized Jesus's ministry as he showed compassion for the sick, the lame, and the blind. Jesus had demonstrated mercy as he went everywhere. Look at Matthew 9, 27. Two blind men followed him crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. Or how about the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, 22? Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. For those in need, this was their plea. Lord, please have mercy on me. Therefore, as we seek to truly love the Lord, we should consider the needs around us where we can show an act of love 
as a demonstration of mercy in order that we might be more like Christ. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever considered how many people in a day you encounter that are in need of some form of a tangible act of mercy? Do you see people in suffering and you're moved with compassion towards them? Do you see people in suffering and simply move on with your more important things of the day? I I was reminded of this just on Friday. We were driving to school to come in for the school day. We were on State Road 26. We were coming from Rossville. We entered the little town of Pettit that's right there. And I could see in front of me just nothing but brake lights and police car lights. And I realized there was an accident there. And I realized two things in my mind. One, my kids are going to be late for school. Sorry, administration that's here. My kids are going to be late for school, and why does this have to happen today? I'm in a hurry, right? Like, so I quick pulled a U-turn, took all the back roads, got behind a school bus. That's beside the point. So we finally got here, right? Finally got here. I go inside. I'm walking into the community center to go to my office, and one of the staff members from the community center is standing there, and I'm like, what, what are you doing? He's like holding a roll of duct tape, and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, hey, one of the ladies that's been visiting our family service was just rear-ended in the town of Pettit. And uh, she's going to drive over here, and I'm going to tape up the lights on the back of her car so she can make it the rest of the way into town. Now, what was I reminded of? In my hurry, right? How dare that car get into an accident in front of me, right? In my hurry. But in the end, it was a moment to show mercy. As a believer, we ought to lead the way in acts of mercy. Why? Because we love because He first loved us. We show mercy because we're constantly surrounded by the oceans of God's mercy. If we consider also what Christ taught in the Sermon on the Mount where He said this, For what if you love those who love you? What reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only brothers, what more are you doing for others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, We need to not only view mercy as an act of love like it is, but it's also something that needs to be shared without boundaries. This parable begins in response to the question, who is my neighbor? That question is motivated by the desire for the lawyer to justify himself. And then he starts by talking about a certain man. It's emphasizing the neighborliness. It's not focused on boundaries or geographical origin or location. Instead, a neighbor is characterized by showing mercy. So why are we to share without boundaries? Well, to meet a variety of needs. We don't want to limit our understanding of mercy to only the actions of the Samaritan. Rather, we want to understand how mercy is expressed as the Samaritan is described as the one who showed mercy to him and then consider how this gift might be exercised in our life. So let's take some time to apply that specifically. How do we show the same kind of mercy? First of all, there's opportunities to exercise mercy outside of the church. Sometimes that's to meet the physical need of people who are in distress. Sometimes that's to meet those needs. We have multiple servants here at Faith who exercise the gift of mercy in meeting physical needs. For instance, uh, this group right here, There was a need that came up to help prepare housing for some visiting scholars from war-torn Ukraine. They were coming to Purdue, and several in our church family stepped up to serve. 
What are they doing? They're using their gifts of mercy to meet the needs of those in our community. It's an incredible picture of the love and mercy that God has given to us. And what a testimony to those that are coming. I'm also thankful for the many servants who come together to meet needs at the Lafayette Transitional Housing Center. By providing food and relationships, sometimes things as simple as eating a popsicle and having a prayer with those who are in need. By the way, how many times in our community do we just blow right by those in our community that are in needs of acts of mercy like this, right? We see folks all over town that these folks are probably serving. And a lot of times we blow right by. Or or how about this? We have folks like Dale and Gail McGinty who help run Grief Share Ministry here. A ministry that exists solely to comfort those who are grieving. What an incredible picture of the gift of mercy to come alongside of those who are going through difficult times. And the gift of mercy should not be shown just toward those outside of the church, but then also towards those inside of the church. Luke and Paul each give examples of mercy toward the body of Christ. For example, in Acts 9.36. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. And this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Here's what we know about Dorcas. Dorcas seems to be described as a woman with the gift of mercy. She was abounding in deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And her gift of mercy impacted so many that when she fell ill and died, the others in the church sought out and implored Peter, please come here and use your spiritual gift, the gift of healing, to try to bring her back to life. Now notice what the text goes on to say about her acts of mercy. Acts 9 39. So Peter arose and went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make them while she was with them. What, what an incredible picture. How did she demonstrate her mercy? According to this, she made what? Tunics and garments, right? To give people, to comfort them, to help them by showing them mercy. The Spirit of God continues to work in and through brothers and sisters who are abounding in deeds of kindness and charity towards our church family, and they do this continually. I love being a part of the pastoral team here at our church because I get to have a front row seat a whole lot of times to seeing people in our church step up and do acts of mercy. Things like meals shared with those who are going through a difficult time. Folks who will come alongside of and pray with. Needs that are met in tangible ways. I've had plenty of opportunities to be the one to deliver a gift from someone within our church that wanted to anonymously give something to someone that was in need. And what an incredible thing to see those gifts of mercy play out. Another example mentioned in the local church of mercy is in Paul's second letter to Timothy, where Paul says this in 2 Timothy 1.15, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelius and Hermogenes. Paul is telling Timothy how some in the church are not extending mercy, though they see Paul's need in chains. They're like the priest and the Levites. They're just passing by and they're leaving him to suffer alone. 
Yet Paul thanks another who seems to have the gift of mercy, and Paul prays for the mercy of God to be returned upon this man. Look at verses 16 through 18. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. What did he do? Onesphorus often refreshed and he searched hard for Paul until he found Paul. And in many ways, he helped him. They're looking. He was looking for ways to show this. We can point to many who show mercy here. I recently have been amazed to hear about our cancer team that we have here within our church. A group of folks who exist specifically to help those within our community who are struggling with cancer, who come alongside with resources and love and compassion. I think about the times that I have the opportunity to go to the hospital to do mercy ministry visits when folks from our church are in the hospital and the number of times I've shown up just to find other church members leaving the hospital or them saying so-and-so just called us or so-and-so just sent this over. Let me take a moment here to say this to you. If you're here with us today and you're visiting, you might say, man, it's really cool to see a church where so many different acts of mercy are happening and are coming out of a place like this. And I want to say this to you. We're glad you're here. We want to serve you as well. We want to pray for you. We want to worship the Lord and show mercy towards those in our community. And you might be thinking this, I wish I could know all the ways this church is actively living out their God-given gifts in this community and within our church. And so I want to say this, I want to invite you to come the next four Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. in the music suite for our introduction to faith. You're going to learn a lot about what our church believes, but you're also going to learn a lot about the opportunities that exist here to be able to carry out the gifts such as the gift of mercy. If you're interested in that, please talk to your service pastor afterwards, and he'll get you all set up. Additionally, the gift of mercy is to be given freely with cheerfulness. When we are using the gift of mercy continually, there are a few things that may pop up in your mind. Have you ever had these thoughts when you're showing mercy towards others? You might think, well, what if I'm taken advantage of? Or you might think, I've been showing compassion towards this person. I don't see the needs changing or the people responding as I was expecting. And so I am going to grumble and complain about the fact that I continue to show mercy to this person and this person refuses to change. And then, or you might say, well, here I am helping the same person again and it feels like we have to help because of an obligation, but we just do it begrudgingly, right? Like that's what we're tempted to do. Can I just interject here for a second? Can you imagine what the strike list against you looks like if God were to approach giving mercy to you with the same thoughts? Oh, it's that Johnny Kajir again needing some mercy. He seems to just want to have a relationship with me for the things I can give him. When will he ever change? He's constantly doing things to create his own trouble. I wish I could just go one day without having to show this guy some mercy. Right? We wouldn't want God to think that way about us. Do you get all caught up in the value proposition of showing mercy towards others? My mercy plus your never needing mercy again equals the way it's supposed to be? Or do we recognize the mercy we've received? 
the gift that's been given to us? And do we choose to cheerfully give mercy because mercy was given to us? Mercy is also a gift that uses what God has provided you. Take a look at the actions that the Samaritan took when he served the man. First of all, he stopped because mercy flows from a heart of compassion. Verse 33, when he saw him, he felt compassion. It was not the relationship, nor was it the circumstance that caused him to show mercy. He felt compassion. So where did that come from? This wasn't a family member of his. This wasn't someone he had previously known. It was in no way an advantage for him to stop and care for this man. Like, he wasn't going to get on the evening news or something. Like, he just was there and he had compassion. Look at how Paul opens the second letter to Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As Christians, when we have experienced the compassion of God, we are able to extend compassion to others. And often, God uses the compassion that we experience in our particular circumstances and struggles, and it makes our heart more compassionate for the needs of those around us. For instance... Consider the volunteers who serve on a regular basis at places like Restoration or Vision of Hope. They understand the mercy that God has shown to them. They're moved with compassion because of what God has done for them. And in turn, they care for those who are in the needs of being shown that same mercy. Also remember, a compassion, a heart shows mercy, but mercy has a cost. Look at verse 34. He came to him and bandaged him, up, bandaged him up in his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Notice how much attention in the story is focused on the extent that the Samaritan did to show mercy and the cost of using what was available. First, he came to him. He didn't just pass by on the other side of the road. He didn't pretend like he got a phone call right at that moment in time and kept on going. No, he, he went to him. Then he bandaged him. Then he poured oil and wine on the wounds. Then he put him on his own animal. So that means this guy's now walking. And then he brought him to an inn and he took care of him at the inn. It's like what James 2, 15 through 16 says. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Right? He could have stopped by and tied a get well soon balloon to this guy or something. like. But that wouldn't have helped him. At the end of the day, he needed to go to him. Mercy has a cost and mercy takes time. For the Samaritan, this journey that the Samaritan would have been on would have been about a day. So it's about 15 miles, right? So that's a pretty significant trip at that time. So when he stopped, one of the costs was his time. Not just on the roadside, but we also see he changes his journey, right? His destination was not the inn. Otherwise, he would have stayed at the inn where he took this guy. But he gets up in the morning and he leaves. So by exercising the gift of mercy, it meant changing his own plans. Friends, understand this truth. Rarely does the need to show mercy and love to others come on a set schedule. Mercy has a cost and mercy takes time. 
There's hope in today's passage because God is showing us that mercy uses the resources that you have. God does not ask you to give what he has not provided. The Samaritan used what was readily available to him, right? The things he had with him on the journey. He didn't just quick run home and get a bunch of supplies or he didn't run to Meyer and grab something. No, he used what he had. When we find ourselves in a position to stop and show mercy, ask yourself, what has God already provided me that I can give as part of the gift of mercy? We're all stewards, not just in November. We're all stewards all the time of the things that God has given us. God owns everything. We own nothing. And he entrusts us all to varying degrees with resources from which we can demonstrate mercy. God's provision will not always look the same, but if God is the giver of the gift of mercy, God will also be the provider of the resources needed to show mercy. And also remember this, mercy seeks the person's continuing good. Notice the Samaritan did not just drop off a cup of water and move on. He didn't just stop and bandage his wounds and say, good luck, here's a map, here's how to get to where you need to go. No, he helped the man find the resource of care where he could be moved from the roadside crisis to a place where he could recover. Friends, I hope that as you think about doing mercy ministry, you're not just looking for the quick fix to that person, but you're looking for the long-term care. That's why we use this principle with our care team that meets needs in our community, not just a one-time meeting of the need, but a hope to meet the needs for the future. Mercy is also a gift that reveals your heart. The story begins with God giving us insight into the heart of the lawyer who asked the question that revealed the heart. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He just wanted to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? And the story ends with Jesus focusing not on who is my neighbor, but who is a neighbor? Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? The lawyer was seeking to test Jesus. He was revealing what he believed. There must be something I can do that will please God enough that I could be given eternal life. But by the end, the lawyer answers Jesus' question about who is the neighbor. So, how do you live as a neighbor to others by showing mercy to others? Jesus told him to go and do the same. Mercy shows you are acting as a neighbor. Friends, if you've been given the mercy of Christ, go and share the gift of mercy with those who God places before you, both inside the church or outside of the church, using the resources that God has provided. And know this also, mercy reveals a heart for the Lord. All of his teaching points to the commandment to love the Lord. The gift of mercy is a demonstration of God's work in your life and your choice to love him. In another interaction that Jesus has with a rich young man like the lawyer, he asked Jesus this, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Listen, we do not extend mercy in order to earn God's mercy. Instead, we receive God's mercy. And after we receive God's mercy, we run to show that mercy. There is only one who is good, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He demonstrated the greatest act of mercy, and we need to also demonstrate that. You or I don't save ourselves. Titus 3, 5 through 6, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done according to righteousness, but according to his mercy 
by the watching of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Friends, I choose to love God because He showed me mercy. And as a result, I have to show mercy to others. I want to remind you to think of this. If God has given you mercy, and He has, then you need to show mercy. And some of you, God may have made it so that you have the gift of mercy. You see all the extra ways. Man, show that mercy. But every single one of us in here has a responsibility to show mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the example that we have here. Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to be merciful people who will show mercy to those around us because of the mercy that's been shown to us. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.